Hey there, Hit Like a Girl Pod listeners. We've got some exciting news that's too good to keep to ourselves. You all know Grace Minton, whose stories have captivated us over the past couple years. Well, Grace has been doing such an amazing job with her show, High Tea with Grace, that it's time for her to shine even brighter. Yes, you heard that right. High Tea with Grace has graduated to its own show with its own brand new RSS feed. While we've loved sharing Grace's episodes as special bonuses on the Hit Like a Girl pod, it's now time to give Grace the spotlight she deserves. So what does that mean for you? To continue enjoying the compelling stories and insights from Grace, head over to your favorite podcast platform and hit that subscribe button for High Tea with Grace. Trust us, you don't want to miss out on what she has in store. Her latest series is dedicated to understanding the VC funding world, aka Fund Like a Girl. Thank you for supporting us, and let's show some love for Grace on her exciting new journey. Remember, search for High Tea with Grace and subscribe today. Support for this episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. Their newly released book, MIPS Manual 2020, is available on Amazon now. This book is great for practice administrators and clinicians who need to keep up with the changing healthcare laws. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they're proud of, advice they would give to other women in health IT, and much more. I'm Joy Rios. And I'm Robin Roberts. Today we're talking with Mary Jane Constantine, who's the Senior Vice President and Head of Population Health Management Solutions at HGS Healthcare, a global business process management firm. We really enjoyed our conversation with her and think you will too. So let's take a listen. I started my career out of college as a registered nurse working in a hospital. It was a great foundation. And I did that while I was in graduate school. And then for the last, oh gosh, let's just say more than 25 years, uh, I've been on the payer side with healthcare. And that means that I've either worked for or with uh, health insurance companies, health plans, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, I've had a variety of roles. I think the common element in all of them, though, has been looking for ways to better use technology to either improve the performance and the efficiency or to improve quality and patient outcome. So can you give us some examples maybe of some projects you've worked on or maybe one you're particularly proud of or something that was, you know, maybe very challenging that had a great results? Sure, I'm happy to. You know, the, um, one of the first challenges that I had as a, as a young leader was um, frankly being put in charge of a claims payment organization. And he said, I'm a nurse. I don't, you know, I know what a claim is, but I don't think I've ever seen one. It was a a really rapid learning curve for me, but it was foundational in a lot of different ways. One, I did see the the power of technology to either make things a lot better or or frankly to stand in the way of of good performance. Um, I also learned a lot about working with people, what motivates them, uh, how to get to the point where we are both improving quality and efficiency. And and a lot of my 
philosophy around healthcare in general is that those two things go hand in hand. When um, services are delivered in an efficient way, um, when uh, treatment is at the right time in the right place, or, you know, from the inside of an organization, when you're handling work, if you do it once and you do it right the first time, that's always the best quality and, and it's, it's also always the fastest. So that claims payment experience, claims processing unit was, was really um, significant for me. I, I just learned a tremendous amount. But I think, frankly, the work that I'm doing now with, with HCS uh, probably has more of a, a significant impact on the health and the lives of the, uh, of the patients, the members that we work with. Um, we work with so many people with multiple chronic illnesses and help them identify ways that they can manage those illnesses better, where they can stay much more compliant with the treatment plan that, that the provider has prescribed for them. And it's, it's just hard to think of uh, work that could possibly be more rewarding than, than knowing that you're making that kind of an impact. You know, dealing with so many chronic patients, you guys are really dabbling in the world of population health. What is it like working in that world, and why do you think population health is so important right now? That's such a great question, and um, population health is, is absolutely a, a, a hot topic and an emerging trend right now. I, I think that the idea that a person's environment influences their health status has been around for a long time, but we are increasingly aware of the direct impact that that, that environment has on, on health status. Um, I think part of the reason that it has become much more uh, of a focus point right now is that we are better able to uh, identify specific risks, better able to look for um, and trend some of the influences that the environment, whether it's housing insecurity or food insecurity, has on a patient's ability to address healthcare concerns. In part, technology is, has helped us there significantly. In the advent of big data, we're much better able to see some of the specific impacts related to uh, the effect of the environment on health. So for our listeners that don't know what HGS does, Mary Jane, can you tell us a little bit more about some of the healthcare solutions you guys offer and maybe some things you're working on currently that you're particularly excited about? Sure. So HGS um, provides services uh, to both provider groups, such as large health systems, as well as on the payer side, so health plans. And uh, is really involved kind of end-to-end -end the whole way through the process, um, providing uh, support, assistance, um, staffing support, either within the U.S. or, or uh, by deploying resources globally to help those health plans become better at what they do and, and more efficient. Within my own division, and we focus uh, on population health management, we take that one step further. We have programs that we've developed and we implement on behalf of typically health plans that identify uh, and stratify the population based on health status, 
and then specifically identify those members within that population who have some sort of a of a need or a gap in care. And these are typically uh, people with at least one, if not multiple, chronic illnesses. Uh, and it may be that we have identified they are not consistently taking medication that's just critical to to stabilizing their their health care. Um, in that kind of a situation, we would reach out to them, uh, help uh, understand why there's that gap, what's the barrier, what's keeping them from being compliant, and then work with them to develop strategies with them so that uh, they can they can follow through on that treatment plan and and hopefully at minimum stabilize their health if not improve it. This is Joy. Do you guys ever partner with uh, like nonprofit or other types of organizations? I imagine you guys have access to so much data because you're working on the payer side, you're working on the provider side, and being able to look at a population and identify the gaps in care. Is there ever a time that you actually reach out and you, you know, try to find the patients that are missing some form of care, but maybe they're, like you said, not taking their medication, but if it's for a reason like they can't afford it or, and that's not going to change, are there other alternate ways that you can kind of, that you guys as an organization can intervene and maybe help provide for the community to kind of close some of those gaps? Yeah, absolutely. One, one comment about um, patient data, and I just feel like it's important to say this before we we talk about it more. Um, there are all kinds of privacy rules about how you can and how you cannot use data, where you can share it, where you can't. So we are we are particularly sensitive for to make sure that we are always staying within the boundaries of what's an appropriate use, and we would never, for example, pass on. Even a, a patient's name or, or contact information to another entity without that person's direct permission. So I just feel like I have to say that out up front. But um, in, yeah, in terms of how we work with people, absolutely. Part of what we want to understand is what is available to a member within their particular community. And it may be. Uh, grant funding, it may be some program that is uh, partly funded by a, a health plan or a hospital system, but it also may be community resources through some other means or even state community-based funding. And it's really important for us to understand that at the local level, at the community level, because it doesn't really help somebody just to say, well, you know, you should we should look for better housing. That's not what's going to make the difference. Helping to connect them specifically with programs in their community, that does have an impact. I'm glad to hear you say that. You know, I think we can sit here on the phone and pontificate about having all the data in the world or being able to identify within moments, taking this transactional data to inform clinically that maybe somebody is 30% more likely to have, you know, a heart attack or whatever the case may be. But those fundamental building blocks to connect the patient to the resources, it's really what is instrumental in making that data actionable. So I'm really glad to hear that, you know, HGS or that that's not lost on you guys. That's not just about big data for the sake of big data, but taking it and translating into useful, actionable steps 
um, for patients at both levels that you work at, um, it is an inspiring thing to hear. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, actionable is is the key word there. Uh, just knowing isn't enough. You've got to do something with that information. And I, I think that's true about so many aspects of our lives. But 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 certainly here, just knowing isn't enough. Just telling somebody that they should work harder or try to do more or or understand their condition a little bit better also isn't enough. Any kind of intervention needs to precipitate a change. And the more actionable the data is, the better we are at being able to use that and move forward. Well, that also entails the, the patients themselves, of course, or your members and the physicians, you know, also requiring a certain level of engagement, right, to actually make that change transpire. What are some of the trends that you're seeing in patient and in caregiver engagement you know, to better populations with all of the information you guys have, all of your clinical expertise, where do you, what do you see kind of on the horizon? Yeah, member engagement's been kind of the big term for the last five years or so. It's really interesting when you, when you know, ask your friends, think about yourself, nobody really wants to be engaged with their health plan, but uh, that's a little bit unfortunate because certainly through that engagement, you can gain a lot of information, you can gain a lot of support. When I think about what's out there, what works, what doesn't, I kind of come back to technology. And it's, it's been as much an obstacle as it has been an enabler. Think about how much junk email you get. Well, probably spam filters help with some of that, but there's still a lot out there. But what I personally experience is a tremendous number of spam calls to my cell phone. And then I get a lot of text just junk text messages. I think I counted one day, I got something like 15 of them come through. When you're just being hit with that much useless information as an individual, it's really hard to sift through and and spot the the piece that you do need to respond to. Um, I've I've inadvertently blocked numbers from providers before because I just didn't recognize that the phone number didn't didn't realize that that was a legitimate um, outreach to me. And and the members that we try to engage with are are facing the same situation. So on one level, we can better customize the communications that go out to members. So we can personalize it to match their specific conditions, to match their demographics, to match issues that are most likely to be relevant to them. That's that's at one end, and it's an incredible, positive, powerful tool. But at the other end, we've got to stand up above the noise that's hitting individuals every day. And frankly, that's been created because technology has made it so inexpensive and so easy to do some of that outreach. So um, incredibly important, but also the way in which health plans are, are able to connect with the membership continuously changes and, and has to keep evolving. So Mary Jane, what is it that took you from that RN role to want to get involved in kind of the business or operational or administrative side of healthcare? Yeah, you know, when I when I graduated from college, I had my eye on grad school. One of the advantages that a background in nursing gives you is it's it's very portable. You can you can work just about anywhere. And it also meant that 
as I considered where I wanted to to settle down and and pick my first job, I, I had a lot of options. I actually looked at uh, graduate school as um, part of the criteria when I when I took my first job, and it came down to a choice between uh, a hospital, actually in New York, that was affiliated with a with a really good university, and the potential there would be for for me to get an advanced degree in in nursing, nurse practitioner, that kind of thing. Or um, I ended up getting my uh, degree from uh, George Washington University in, in Health Services Administration. And at that point, it was out of the business school. And I kind of weighed both of those back and forth and, and just decided that I, I really found the kind of the organization structure part of the delivery of healthcare more interesting. CW was a phenomenal place to work. And as part of my employee benefit, they, they paid for my education. So it just turned out to be a great experience. As I got into it and kind of understood more, learned more, I realized that I was particularly interested in working on the payer side and, and stepping away from the provider side. So it really just kind of evolved. It, it certainly wasn't something I thought about when I left home to go to college. When you think about the payer side, I know you said that the claims process and that project you were on taught you so much because it was something you maybe didn't have as much as exposure to through your clinical training and expertise. What is the most surprising thing you've learned being on the business side of things or maybe how you kind of connected the dots or see things intersect? Is there anything from a nursing perspective that has just kind of blown your mind or you're taken aback by? You know, the the one thing, and I think this is so counter to public opinion of of health plans and payer organizations, but as I've worked with people really in all roles within those organizations, part of their motivation is they believe that they're doing good in the world. They like the idea that, for example, the claims processors, that they are playing a part in the delivery of healthcare, and maybe it's just paying the claim, that may not be the obvious thing. That may not be who you think about when you think um, uh, somebody helped me get better. And yet it really is an important part. The vast majority of people that I've worked with throughout my career, regardless of the role, appreciate the fact that the organizations provide a public service, that they help other people. And again, I don't think that's the public perception. And yet I have found it with every single organization I've worked with. I mean, that's a little bit reassuring, just as somebody who's not on the payer side. The payers do kind of get a bad rap. So talking to somebody on the inside, knowing that you guys have good intentions, that feel good. Yeah, it, it's, you know, unfortunately, it's one of those situations where I think the best you can do is get to the point of a, a kind of neutral public opinion. Health plans are always treated with suspicion, but when you start to think through and you start to look at uh, how are they structured and, and what are they focused on, very often it is exactly that. It's, it's how can we make sure that patients get the right care at the right time, not just how they get care, but making sure that it is the right thing for them, that it is evidence-based, that the likelihood that the treatment will improve their health status is great. And also just to be able to uh, provide the economic support to make it happen. Absolutely. You know, we had a child that had really complex needs for something that had no known etiology, no known cure. 
And I think the one thing that surprised me the most is that our my employer sponsored a commercial insurance called and there was a case manager and I thought, what the heck is this person going to do, right? Um, but mm-hmm. it was a great reminder that there is only so much information coming across through claims, letters of medical necessity, diagnoses, and all of the structured information they get that when it was time to deal with some ancillary things, DME, some of these other things that we had, that there are these instrumental and kind of kind of unseen resources at a at real person level that is trying to do the right thing. They want to know the rationale. They want to know why. And obviously, they don't want to overspend. They don't want to overutilize these funds. And it is about doing the right thing at the right time. But I think it was also a reminder to me that, you know, the company has made an investment in these resources because not every patient is cookie cutter. Not everything is just a claim. And so, you know, I I think you bring to light just a, a good reminder for people when it is kind of, you know, before that, honestly, I, I kind of thought about it as the dark side you know, <laughs> of what goes on, right? Because they're just, you know, doling out approvals when it seems befitting to them and these sorts of things. But there, there is so much more that goes into it. So I'm glad you shared your thoughts on that. Well, I, I hate the term bean counter when it comes to insurance, just because I think sometimes the way the industry is portrayed is pretty far from reality. I, I'm sorry you were ever in a situation where you where you needed those kinds of resources, but glad they were helpful for you. You know, the healthcare just, just across the board can be hugely confusing, not only knowing what to do and, and how to access, but I think one of the things that people don't always recognize is that sometimes the wrong care isn't just wasteful. Sometimes it's really damaging. It can hurt your health. So having some support and having some assistance in identifying that, yes, this is there is medical evidence, there's clinical evidence to support that, that this approach makes sense, it's useful, and it's not going to do damage that's helpful in a way that people just don't realize when they think about, you know, has this procedure been approved or not? Maybe the reason that it wasn't approved is because there's just not good evidence that it works. And who wants to subject themselves, especially when they're, they're not well, to something that has a low probability of, of helping out and, and might in fact do damage? That's a really good point. I think that that is it. That lends us to a really nice transition to our second major question. And that is, if you could, Mary Jane, solve any problem. So you've seen quite a bit, even considering, you know, what you've already shared with us today. But in healthcare, being so complex and with all of its challenges, if you could, with the snap of your fingers, solve any one of those issues without really regards for money, uh, resources or time, can you kind of put on your magical thinking hat and think about, you know, what problem you would like to solve? Maybe share with us why. Sure. In my magical world, there's universal coverage. You know, when I think about, well, step back and look at how the U.S. stacks up against other countries with respect to, to healthcare and, and healthcare systems, um, and, and particularly developed nations. We don't score well. The, the last um, ranking that I saw from the World Health Organization, I think, had us around 37th. 
um, every ranking that I've seen, and, and they all use different attributes, but every ranking that I've seen, um, the, the U.S. never scores as well as I think we could. And it's not because we don't have great providers. It's not because we don't have great um, uh, technology and, and great facilities. It's, in my opinion, because there's such disparity in who has access. And a lot of the disparity comes down to whether or not people can pay. So when you look at the uninsured, you also have to consider the underinsured, people who have high deductibles. I, I think my own family deductible is about $9,000, but, but I'm able to put money in my health savings account and I have a resource to be able to, to cover that kind of deductible. Not everybody does. So when you look at insurance, who has it, who doesn't, and who doesn't have enough, it has a huge impact on who's accessing care and how they're accessing care within a country. To me, before we start to think about some of the other great enhancements, I, I think we've just got to, at a, at a baseline, make sure that everybody can get at least the minimal foundational care that they need. That would be my use of, of that wonderful magic wand. Yeah, I think that fundamental, you know, access to care and the coverage for these basic things is just critical when we talk about, you know, raising the bar, especially when it comes to population health and those that don't have access or even those that don't have a, a continual or ongoing relationship with primary care providers Some very things that are just, you know, simple for a lot of people aren't for most. And I think that's, I think that's lost on a lot of people. So I think that's a great wish. So in this big complex world of healthcare, Mary Jane, there is a lot to keep up with. It literally changes on a daily basis, sometimes even hourly, depending on what's going on. You know, what are some things that you've either read personally or professionally that have inspired you in this space or that resonate a great deal with you? Or maybe just how do you keep up with all of this minutia that is healthcare? But keeping up is, is tough, isn't it? Um, you know, it's a, it's a combination of the world is changing so fast, particularly in healthcare, and there's so much information. So filtering it out is, and, and knowing what to focus on, I think, is increasingly a challenge. I think I'm fortunate in that I'm talking with leaders of health plans across the country, uh, either our current clients or sales opportunities, I, I'm speaking with leaders almost weekly. And that helps a lot. Um, it's always fascinating to understand what they're focused on, uh, what they see as, as the next big challenge, um, and, and what in their local community is, is specifically challenging. Uh, I think with a topic that's moving as fast as healthcare, understanding what professional associations offer forums for exchange of ideas. Uh, I also think that's critical. Um, but then the other piece is there are a lot of good resources, regardless of what slice you're most interested in online. Of course, the caveat to that is you need to know that it's a legitimate source. And then, frankly, um, even the lay media, newspaper articles online, whatever, I think the media does a reasonably good job of of filtering through and identifying what is the what is an emerging trend, and so often helping us sift through, you know, what is 
an emerging trend and what's just trendy uh, and maybe not that helpful. So for me personally, it's a combination of of connecting with other people in the industry, of trying to stay on top of what's happening through particularly online resources, and then just just being aware of, of what's out there in the broader market. I really like the um, the visualization of kind of identifying what is an emerging trend versus what is just trendy at the time. That's a great way of thinking about it. Mary Jane, if people want to find you, work with you, follow you, you know, or just have a professional relationship with you or HGS, where can they look? Where can they find you? Sure. So for me personally, um, LinkedIn's uh, probably the easiest resource. Um, uh, and I'm always happy to connect with people in the industry. Um, with respect to HGS, uh, teamhgs.com or our Twitter account um, at Team HDS, uh, three great three great ways to to find out more about what we do or or to connect. Well, Mary Jane, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. We really appreciate hearing more about your clinical expertise as you've evolved into this space and the difference that HDS is helping to make in population health with both physicians and with patients. Well, it's been my pleasure to chat with both of you today. Thanks so much for the chance. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you to Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. You can find out more about them at www.chirpybirdinc.com.